Okay, ready to try this? We did uh, four weeks of Advent. Advent means what? What does Advent mean? Coming. So we usually in December, we'll do four weeks of Advent, the coming of the Lord. And then um, after that, we'll either do the beginning of the church in the book of Acts or Jesus coming back. So we're going to look at Matthew 24. So if you have a Bible, open up because we're going to do a good part of that chapter. Matthew 24, the world before Jesus returns. Up, oh, I guess he's here. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> the world prior to the return of Jesus. Let's just read some of it and then we'll read through and then we'll come back again and try to see what we can get out of it. So chapter 24, verse 1. I have one of those, thank you. Um, So Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to all of the buildings. Oh, I didn't have one of those, but that's all right. (laughs) I thought I had one of those. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the buildings. Do you see these things? He asked. Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left on another. All will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. And they said, tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? So let's just explain that part before we get into Jesus' answer. What's going on? This is the last week of the life and ministry of Jesus. That's what we're looking at now. So the the Gospels, either they take 25% of the end of the Gospels, up to a third of the Gospels, to talk about the last week of the life and ministry of Jesus. And so these guys are in Jerusalem for the Passover. And they're coming and going from Jerusalem every single day. They're not staying in the city, they're staying outside of the city. So they had been in the temple area, And when they were there, all of these disciples of his that were from the Galilee, so they're all fishermen, they're farmers, uh, they work with their hands, they live in the country, they're in the city, the city of Jerusalem. And we've explained this before, I think, about these guys. When they're in the city, the city's a little foreign to them. How do you tell a tourist in New York City? It's really easy. They're looking up. (laughs) They're looking up. So looking up at the buildings. Well, if you live there, you you just keep walking. But these guys are looking up at the buildings. They're not familiar to them, but they're amazing to them. And they said to Jesus, look at the buildings. Like, look at this. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, that not one stone here will be left on another to all come down. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? First of all, that was the temple for the temple to come down. Why would Jesus even say that kind of a thing? And, and then for the destruction, why would he even do that? So they're bothered by it. So when you leave the city of Jerusalem, you have to go down a hill. You always have to go up to Jerusalem. That's why in the Bible it always says, let's go up to Jerusalem, because it's on a hill. So you come down the hill, and these guys walk up the hill to the Mount of Olives. Does anybody know what they grow on the Mount of Olives? <laughs> olives. That's right. <laughs> they grow olives up there. So by the time you get up to the top of that hill, you're tired. So they stop, and they're sitting down. 
And while they're there, they say to Jesus, what are you talking about? What's all that stuff about the temple? And now Jesus is going to give them an explanation of it. And it's true, it happened exactly like Jesus said in the year 70. They're up there on top of the Mount of Olives at 33 AD. In the year 70, Titus finally has just had it with the Jewish population. And he invades Jerusalem, destroys the city. The temple uh, catches fire. There's gold in there. And so the gold is melting all over the place. The Roman soldiers on their downtime would go in and overturn these stones looking for gold that might have dripped in between somewhere. So they took all of those stones and threw them down. And now they've excavated and you can find those stones. Those are there, just like Jesus said. So the temple comes down, but they asked him, Three questions that Jesus sort of turns into one. Here's the questions. The disciples said to him, when will this happen? When will it happen? What will be the sign of your coming? And of the end of the age. Wow. So um, three questions and Jesus is going to answer those. And people ask these questions all the time. So what we're looking at now is what's called eschatology. The part of theology concerned with death, judgment, the final destiny of the soul, and humankind. Christian hope is concerned with eschatology, the science of last things. So the study of last things, eschatology, is not just the study of end times. It certainly includes end times because that's what happens at the end. At the end, there's end times. But it's really concerned with what happens in the end, and what happens after our end. And so we're looking at eschatology. And in this case, the eschatology is looking at these three questions, because you have to go into chapter 25 to get to some of those other ones. But when will this happen, and what will be the sig, the sig of your coming in the end of the age? What will it be? Here, Jesus is going to answer this question. And he's going to answer this question by giving a series of signs, things that you can see so that you know where you're going. When you see a sign, it's supposed to point you to where you're going, right? So the signs are supposed to point us to something. And so Jesus is going to give us some, but here's what we want to say first. Let's ask the question, are the prophecies a series of unstoppable events waiting to happen? One question. Or are they like a slowly rising temperature? Since it's God's story, since we're looking at signs, since it's God's story, since it's his world, since it's his plan, he can stop the dominoes or turn down the heat anytime he wants. Let's keep that in mind that God is absolutely in control of everything that's going on and he can make them go as fast or he can make them go as slow as he wants to. God is in control. The, the first couple of signs we're going to look at are deception, false Christ, wars, rumors of wars, global warring alliances, famines. And we're going to try to put things into two categories as we look at this. Some of these signs are age-long signs. What does that mean? It means that these things have happened in every age since Jesus. Some of these things, deception has always happened. Deception isn't something that just happens at the end. Deception has always been going on. And so will deception get greater? We looked at that rising temperature. Is that, is that what's happening? Will deception get greater? 
false Christ. So we're going to look at things and try to put them in a category. Are these age-long signs or are these age-end signs? What sign is this and what is it doing? Is it an age-long one or is it an age-end sign? So um, here's what Peter said. So when we try to categorize these, he said, knowing this, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking in their own lusts. And they'll say, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue just as they are from the beginning. Well, there's a lot there. One of the things that's there is people are saying from the beginning, things are the, that's what, in geology, that's what, what's called uniformitarianism, which means that everything is exactly the same as it was. It's always been this way. Um, and explain the earth, explain everything. And so they're saying, you know, things have always been this way. But why does God wait? Well, don't forget this one thing. This is a continuation of that verse, dear friends. With the Lord, the day is, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. The Lord's not slow or slack in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. So why doesn't Jesus just come back right now? The answer is right there, that he's still waiting for more people to come to him. And in the book of Romans, it's actually an indication that there might be a fixed number of Gentile people that are going to come in before the Lord returns. But why hasn't he come back this morning? Because there's somebody, maybe it's somebody in this meeting right now that you're going to give your life to Jesus Christ. And then you will start that whole series of dominoes going again. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? The Lord's still waiting. So here's, um, here's what we're looking at. There's these signs and maybe stages of signs. Stage one is takeoff, the first five signs. Deception, false Christ, wars, uh, world wars, global warring alliances, and famines. And, and then we get into um, deception. So let's look at this. Jesus is going to speak now. And Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you. Now, I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but uh, we say this all, time, all the time, that the nature of deception is what? You don't know you're being deceived. The nature of deception is you don't know you're being deceived. It's a little hard to say I'm being deceived because once you can say I'm being deceived, you're no longer deceived. Right? So the nature of deception is you're being deceived. And, and deception is the act of causing someone to accept as true or valid that which is false or invalid. And I think a lot of us have been taken in by deception. Some of us have bought things under deceptive methods. <laughs> a lot of things have happened to us. So deception, and Jesus tells you to watch out. So there's the first key in understanding the world before Jesus returns is to watch out. Always be watching out that no one deceives you. And he goes on and he says, For many will come in my name claiming that I am the Messiah. But you've got to keep your eyes open because of the nature of deception. There's always been liars and there's always been religious liars. And so Jesus moves it to that next one where he talks about religious liars where he says, for many will come in my name, claiming I'm the Messiah and will deceive many. So you have false Christ. There's a second sign. 
But is that an age-long sign, or is that an age-end sign? Or is the temperature rising? So we have some work to do. We need to put some of these things in columns. Is that an age-long sign? Well, it is, because there's always been false Christs. There's always been false teachers. So is it an age-end category, or is it a temperature rising? Well, it might be a temperature rising one. Because something happened in the mid-1800s where there was this explosion of false doctrines and false Christs. Just popped up all over the place, all over the globe. So much so that Watchman Ministries, who catalogs these things, says that there's 1,200 groups that really fall into the categories of false Christs, false messiahs. In fact, the word cult, the way that we use it in the religious sense, wasn't really introduced into the English vocabulary until 1912. So maybe there's an increasing temperature of that. So even though it's, it's an age-old category, it's also an age-end one. Um, so in many of those cults, the Watchman Ministries catalogs are apocalyptic cults. They're very concerned with things in the end. They're very concerned with the, the, the end of time. And they're offering hope for the end of time. And they're offering messiahs. And, and some of us in our lifetime rem- remember these things. You, so you have messiahs like Jim Jones, people committing suicide, Hale-Bopp Comet, David Koresh, all kinds of movements of deception, of religious deception. And then the next one is, is verse 6. Jesus didn't say Verse 6, he said, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. So two things so far that Jesus is doing for us. He's telling us to watch out and don't be alarmed. Watch out and don't be alarmed. So when we're talking about the days before Jesus returns, which these days before Jesus returned would have happened just weeks after Jesus said this, that would be before his return, right? He ascends into heaven. And so those are the days that are before his return. Certainly today is before his return. He hasn't come back yet. I don't think he's come back yet, has he? I told told one of our deacon guys um, quite a while ago that... uh, If Jesus comes back, could he make sure that the church is all locked up? So anyway, (laughs) so I don't think he's come yet. (laughs) But you'll hear of wars and you'll hear of rumors of wars. But don't be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. So you have age-long and age end, age long and age end. So there certainly have been wars, and Jesus said, don't be alarmed. These things must happen, but the end isn't yet. So let's camp on that don't be alarmed one for a minute. If you are living in a constant state of alarm, you will not make a good EMT. You just won't. If you are living in a constant state of alarm, you will not make a good dispatch officer. You need to stay calm in crisis if you want to be useful and helpful to others. So if you want to be useful in crisis, 
you need to learn to not be alarmed. I got into this quite a bit last night at our service, and there was um, a girl there who's a physician's assistant who came up to me after, and she said, uh, I was a dispatcher for five years. And she said, the truth is, you need to be as calm as calm can be if you're a dispatcher. She said there was a case where we could not get the people to the address because they wouldn't tell us the address. They're on the phone just complaining, right? You got to get here. You got to get here. Where are you? They're doing it. Where are you? Yeah, you have to. Where are you? <laughs> you, have to, you have to stay calm in the midst of crisis. And Jesus is telling us that we need to stay calm. We need to keep our feet on the ground. We need to not be alarmed. We need to be watching out. Because when you're alarmed, you get all confused and you make rash, crazy decisions. And you do things you're not supposed to do. And you get caught up in it. And so Jesus is trying to get us to calm down. And then somebody came up to me after that as well last night and said, you, you remember in World War II? I said, no, I don't remember World War II. <laughs> I thought, oh man, I must be getting there. They said, but that phrase came out of England, stay calm and carry on. Stay calm and carry on. And so Jesus is telling us the same things. Don't be alarmed. Watch out. Because there's always been wars and there always will be. But many times, us as Christian people, when we hear about wars, we get all freaked out. There's a war. Jesus must be coming back. Jesus said there'll be wars. You know, the end isn't yet. Although there, there will be a war that will be right before the end, for sure, because there's always been warring. But calm it down, stay calm. So is this an, an age-long event or is this an age-end event? Well, it's probably both. Age-long and age-end. Wars. The Club of Rome, they did a report in 1970 and they've been doing reports ever since about the state of the planet. And they tell us that in the last 50 years, there, there really probably hasn't been a single day of peace. So there's always wars and warring factions, but wars upset people. And when we're upset, people wish that Jesus would just come back now and end it all. Jesus goes on and says some interesting stuff about wars. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So if you've been around here at all, you know that we have often said that that word in English, na nation, does anybody remember what we said the Greek word is for nation? Ethnos. It appears all through the Bible, ethnos. And ethnos is not a geographical political border. An ethnos is a group of people. It's a swarm of people. And what are those people defined by? Culture. What makes culture? Usually language makes culture and customs. And what are those customs? Food very often. <laughs> but it's language and practice. And so it's saying that nation will rise against nation. Um, and, and the language changes in a moment where it says kingdom against kingdom, where there's multiple nations lined up together. Um, let's read that. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So the kingdom against kingdom 
You know, the United States is sort of a kingdom. Russia was a kingdom. All throughout history, there have been kingdoms that have tried to rule the world. And it goes all the way back to Babylon. Now, when Babylon was a kingdom, what Babylon did was they conquered constantly. And when they conquered, they took all of those people that they conquered and they assimilated them. And now they were part of Babylon. And so in Babylon, you had all of these conquered people. Well, the Persians come and the Persians conquer Babylon. And when they conquer Babylon, they get all of those other peoples, those nations, those ethnos that are underneath the umbrella of Babylon. Now they belong to Persia. Well, Persia fights Greece. And these things make for great blockbuster movies, the Persians and the Greeks and the, and the Romans. So many movies have been made about their conquering. So the, the, the Persians uh, fight the, the, the Greeks and, and Greece takes over. Then the Romans conquer Greece. And then you have throughout history, Russia, they ended up conquering everybody, taking all kinds of people. And I'm old enough that I remember, how many of you remember this, that when I was in school, I thought everybody that lived in Russia was Russian. But when Ronald Reagan said, Mr. Gorbachev, take down that wall, you discovered that behind that wall, they weren't all Russians. They were Chechnyans and Azerbaijanis and and all kinds of people. And they were, they were all conquered. You took these people groups, you took these ethnos, you took these nations, and many of them preserved their language. And they certainly preserved their cooking at home. So at home, they would talk the language of their heart. They would always cook the food that they liked, but, but they were conquered by these kingdoms. And so kingdom will fight kingdom, and kingdom has been fighting kingdom. I want to do an aside, though, with uh, Ronald Reagan. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. Well, those guys were diametrically opposed to the way that they viewed the world. And the wall came down. And when the wall came down, again, you saw all of these people rise up. And they're still rising up. There's still the Chechnyan wars and now Russia with Ukraine and just all of this. But... This is an aside that I think is important for our time. Ronald Reagan said that publicly to Gorbachev. Now that's kind of, that's kind of confrontational, right? I mean, to do that to a world leader publicly? Well, it turns out that Ronald Reagan and Miguel Gorbachev actually had a friendship. They they did not agree on the way that the world should work. They didn't agree on it governmentally. They didn't agree on it economically. There was no agreement on how the world should be run. But somehow they struck up a friendship and they were civil in their relationship to each other. When Ronald Reagan died, one of the first people that Nancy called was Miguel Gorbachev. Like, how does that work? How does that work that in a, in a world where you're diametrically opposed to somebody, there can still be some civility and decency? And I think we need to get to the place where there is civility and decency with people that we don't agree with. Imagine that, Nancy calling him and telling him that. I mean, those guys, uh, they went through a lot. So, so kingdom against kingdom, World War I, World War II, even the Gulf War. When we fought the Gulf War, we wanted to have everybody on our side before we, we fought the Gulf War. We didn't want to go it alone. 
NATO alliances, even Saddam Hussein, when, when he was in power, he was trying to build Arab alliance. He was trying to get everybody on his side, wanting to have multiple nations fighting nations. But then, going back to the one where it says nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, ethnos against ethnos, well, we're living in a time right now where there's ethnos wars and ethnos conflicts all over the planet. There's one going on in the Sudan right now, Sudan civil war. Um, some years ago, El Salvador had a civil war. Within their borders, there were people there who were fighting each other. And we had, some of us used to go down to Nicaragua, there was the Sandinista Contra War. People in that country, there was a civil war. First of all, the Sandinistas overthrew the dictatorship, and after they overthrew the dictatorship, there were factions within the country that were fighting each other. It was ethnos against ethnos. Chad in Libya, Eritrea in Ethiopia. One of our elders here, he's moved now to Philadelphia, but he was from Eritrea. In Eritrea, they rose up against Ethiopia. So the Eritreans saw themselves as a people group rising up against the Ethiopians, and there was a war, and they got their freedom in their country. It's kind of weird, because if you look at Ethiopia, they're like this little circle right in the middle of the country, <laughs> all surrounded by Ethiopia. So you have nation against nation. You have the Sunnis and the Shiites. Now, we would look at the Sunnis and the Shiites and we'd say, well, they're Iraqis. Well, they might consider themselves Iraqis, but they consider themselves Sunnis and Shiites. It's nation against nation. It's ethnos against ethnos. In Turkey, you might look at Turkey and say, well, you know, they're all Turks there. Well, they're not all Turks there. You know, in southern Turkey, there's the Kurds. And the Kurds see themselves as somebody different than Turks. And there's these conflicts that are going on at this very moment. You would think in Spain, everybody in Spain is all Spanish. Well, not at all. When, uh, when they had to, to, to speak one language, they all kept their languages at home. In the north of Spain, there's some, some people called the Basques. The Basques are amazing. They live in northern Spain. They live in southern France. Never been conquered. Hannibal tried to bring his... Uh, elephants through there to conquer them, but couldn't could get through the, the Pyrenees, mountains. And these people have never, ever been conquered. They just consider themselves Basques. Well, they live in Spain. We're Basques. In fact, there was a Basque liberation movement. They were terrorists. So they live in, in northern Spain. They live in southern France. They're the people who made the berets. They're the people who created High Life. And there's a whole bunch of them that are shepherds in Nevada. Who can figure... Um, what was that, Earl? Whatever turns them on. Turns them on. <laughs> you have the Israelis and the Palestinians. You know, in, in, uh, in, in Nepal, there's a, there's a civil conflict. So are these age-long signs or are they age-end signs? What category do you want to put them in? Because there's always been ethnic conflicts There'd be ethnic conflicts at the end. So is it the temperature rising? Is it the dominoes falling? Um, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And what are we supposed to do in the midst of that? Watch out and stay calm. Don't be alarmed. 
Don't be alarmed. If you get alarmed, you're, you're going to get off track. And if you get, if you get alarmed, you're going to bring everybody with you off track. I feel I've been privileged a little bit to have been involved with disaster relief for 25 years. I haven't done too much in the last couple of years. But it's always amazing to me when you're doing disaster relief how calm the professionals are. Like when they come in, they're calm. And if you call an ambulance, when they come in, they're calm. And you're like, hurry up, hurry up. He's sick, hurry up. And they're calm. And you're like, why are you so slow? They're calm. They're taking, they're doing it right. If they're alarmed, if they're crazy, then there's a good chance we're going to lose this guy. But if we're not alarmed and if we're calm, there's a good chance we're going to, we're going to rescue this guy. There's a good chance we're going to keep this guy. Stay calm. Don't be alarmed. And Christian people, because we know these things and look at these things, many times when anything happens, we get alarmed and we just go off. But then, a couple of years later, you have to explain to everybody why you went off on all of that when things calmed down, when all of the dust settled. Why, why were you saying that? You know, what did you mean by that? That never happened. And you were telling me that it would. So what does it do to, to your credibility? What does it do to our credibility? What does it do to the credibility of the gospel? Stay calm. So then it says that there'll be famines and there'll be earthquakes. Jesus says this. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. So how long have there been earthquakes? How long have there been famines? Again, the Club of Rome, who's been cataloging some of this since the 70s, if, you were, if, if your education or your worldview or your life is built anything on you know, what was going on in the 60s and the 70s, and we all are, even if we weren't born in those times, uh, there's, there's all kinds of stuff that started happening then where people were freaked out by what was going on in the planet. They were thinking there's not going to be enough resources in the planet because not everything is renewable. Like, what's not renewable? Gold. There's only so much gold. You need to go find the gold because there's not a whole lot of it. Lead, uh, chromium, petroleum. And so people were like, well, there's not going to be enough resources. There's not going to be enough resources. And while there's not going to be enough resources, so that's a famine. When there's not enough resources, a famine of food, be a famine of petroleum, be a famine of gold, be a famine of lead, whatever it is that you need. And so they started to get freaked out because with what they thought was decreasing or, or not renewable resources, there was an increasing population. From the time of Genesis to 1850, it took that long to get one billion people on the planet. One billion people. From the time of Genesis... To 1850. From 1850 to 100 years later, when a lot of us were born, I was born in 1955. So between the, the first billion that took all the way from Genesis to the decade I was born in, there were 2.7 billion people living in the decade I was born in. How did that happen? It doubled in, in 100 years, more than doubled in 100 years. And then it has gone from when I was born to how many people are on the planet now, they don't even know. But they're thinking that we, we might hit 8 billion this year or next year. Population is just increasing crazy. 
And so people like the Club of Rome's reports, limits to growth, you know, famines, part of the 20th century landscape. Uh, well, there's always been famines. There's always been. Jesus, you know, these are the beginning of things, but they've always been going on. So is the temperature rising or are these age-old or age-end events? Well, you figure it out. Put it in the category. How about this one? Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted to death. You'll be hated by all nations, all ethnos, because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray one another. Christians hating Christians. And many false prophets will appear. I thought he already said there'd be many false prophets. One of the things that you find in this discourse is Jesus keeps talking about deception. Over and over again. What you want to do if you to learn how to study the Bible is look for the things that are repeated. What's repeated here? Deception. Deception, 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 and religious deception. What are you supposed to do about it? Don't get alarmed. Why should we be alarmed about anything? Why should a Christian person be alarmed? Jesus said, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. He'll take care of us. And so this posture of alarm is actually disobedience to the teaching of Jesus. We're disobeying him when we're being alarmed, when we're letting everything get out of control. And so all of these things are going to happen. There's going to be false messiahs. There's going to be um, persecution. And there's the big persecuted nations, but, but that's starting to change. It's starting to move. Persecution is something that is the temperature is rising all across the planet of Christian persecution. Why would anybody persecute Christians? What's the, the point of persecuting Christians? I mean, what do, they, what do they do that's so bad that you want to persecute them? Well, when did the persecution begin? The persecution began when Jesus was on the planet. And then when the church was born, it started to increase. The temperature started to go up. And it ebbs and it flows. And right now is, is a pretty good time of quite a bit of persecution across the planet. We haven't really experienced too much of it, but the rest of the planet really has. And so again, repeated in verse 11 is deception. Don't be deceived. Don't be alarmed. Keep your feet on the ground. Um, love grow cold. At that time, many will turn away and hate each other. Verse 12, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands to the end will be saved. So you have a time where love is going to grow cold. Um, here's what uh, Timothy said would be the end time personality. Lovers of self, lovers of money, people that like things, not people. easier to control things. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of God, treacherous, what a great word, wrath, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. So this is talking about people in the church. It's talking about people in the church. How can that happen, that Christian people will get that way? And that, that they're going to have a form of godliness, but deny the power of God. The gospel will go to all nations, it's going to all nations. And it's spreading fast. And the number of Bibleist people is decreasing rapidly. 
So are these age-long things or are they age-end things? Well, now we're going to get to one that certainly is an age-end one. And it says this in verse 15, so that when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand and let let those who flee to the mountain, let, let them flee to the mountains. And he goes on and on and talks about what's going on in verse 21. He says that, uh, there'll be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. Well, that actually is an age-end prophecy. There's no question about it. The other ones, are they age-long or age-end, or is it a mixture, or is it a temperature rising? Well, you put it in the categories. But this one is, is one that actually is age-end. Jesus told these guys that there would be a time where that which was spoken of by the prophet Daniel, they would have understood it somewhat. He went to Sunday school. They would have understood what, what, what Daniel was talking about, that somebody would come into the temple and declare himself to be God and declare himself to be worshipped and declare himself to be higher than any other human being or any authority on heaven or on earth declaring himself to be God. He also, according to Revelation 13, would make it so that nobody could buy or sell unless they, unless they had a mark. And so this is definitely an age and one. Well, the problem is that when Jesus was telling them this, it's conceivable that those things could have happened. All of those things? Yes, all of those things. You mean like they could keep people from buying or selling uh, because they didn't have a mark? Absolutely. People say, You know, we're living in a time where right now, only right now could you ever get to the place where you could have to buy or sell with with a mark because we've never been at that place before. Of course we're in that place. We're in that place when Jesus gave this prophecy. Why would you say that? Why Why did Herod send everybody back to their hometowns? To do what? To keep track of them. To get a census to keep track of them. So in the first century, Herod in Rome knew what everybody was doing. They knew what everybody was doing. They sent them back so they could tax them, but also so they could track them. And, and you need to think a little bit about it. These tax collectors knew where everybody in the neighborhood was. They knew where everybody was. So, so they could easily stop you from buying or selling, just tattoo you, and stop you from buying or selling. So in Jesus' day, that certainly could have happened, maybe even more so than our day, because they had eyes on you, watching you, knowing where you live, knowing who your kids are, knowing, knowing your every movement. My friend Bob Trolis, who recently went to be with the Lord, he went down to Nicaragua, started a church there, and he started it during the Sandinista Revolution. And Nicaragua and Cuba had great relations. So he was like, wow, what an open door. I can, go, I can go to Cuba anytime I want. And so he used to fly into Havana and he would go and he would start churches in Cuba. Underground churches, just churches in people's homes. And he would make this little circuit and his circuit was getting bigger and bigger where he would go and he would just teach the Bible in these homes. And did it frequently, just would fly from Managua to Havana, you know, Havana back to Managua. And so he had, he had gone one time, and this is back in the 80s, he had gone one time and they stopped him and they detained him. They said, where are you going? You come here quite a bit. And he said, well, he said, you know, I come here, I, I know people, I have friends. 
And I just go, you know, I visit my, and they say, well, what do you do when you visit your friends? He says, well, you know, we talk and, you know, we share life together and, and we eat and we spend time. And they said, okay, you need to wait right here. And they came out a couple hours later and they asked him the same question. And he answered it again. Oh, I go visit some people and talk and we share life. He's trying not to lie. You know, we're sharing life, you know, talking. And they did this to him two or three times. And he said, I'm there for like 24 hours. And he said, 24 hours later, they came out to me with some paper. And they said, when you go to these places to talk and to have life and to share life and to eat food, are you going to go see so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so? He said, these people had been tracking me for years with paper, with paper. You can track people. The East, the East German system of surveillance, you know, they, could, they knew where everybody was. So, so it could happen in Jesus' day. It could happen in any day. It's not just this day. It could happen any day. Always could happen all throughout history. And so, but when you see this, the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, when Jesus did this, there was a holy place in Israel. 40 years later, there wouldn't be a holy place in Israel. And then, and then it makes the assumption that Jewish people are in the land. Well, 40 years later, they get kicked out of the land. Titus just has had it with them. And he destroys the temple, and he destroys the city, and he exiles them, and they're exiled for 2,000 years. And 2,000 years later, in May of 1948, they raise an Israeli flag, and they're in the land. But they didn't have Jerusalem. They didn't get Jerusalem until 1967. And now they're in the land, and now they're planning on rebuilding a temple. So that would be an age-end event. The other ones are age-long, but they're also age-end events. So what do you conclude from all of this? Well, once it gets to verse 21, you know, those, those are unstoppable events. But deception is repeated again. Why does it keep repeating deception? Because we need to watch out. We're not deceived and we're not alarmed. We will be of use to nobody if we are alarmed and if we are, are crazy and if we are deceived and if we are running off saying all kinds of things that simply are not so because God can stop the dominoes anytime he wants. It's what God does. I'm going to tell you a story that happened to me when I was just starting ministry. And uh, a guy came up to me. He'd been in ministry for 40 years. I've been in ministry almost 40 years. A couple of years would be 40 years for me. I'll be in the place he was in. And so when, he, uh, when I first started ministry, this guy, and some of you people know this guy, it's Pastor Anderson from the Norwich Alliance Church. He called me up. Um, he called me up because he preached a message against me. <laughs> About me. <laughs> Used my name. And uh, so he called me, I think it like got around and he was like, I better like, you know, I better stop this. I better stop this thing while I can. So here's what he told me. He said, you know, when I first got into ministry uh, back in the 60s, he said, we had, we were the generation that saw Israel become a nation. We saw Israel become a nation. And he said, because we saw Israel become a nation, he said, we knew, we knew that this was it. This was it. It was, it was going to just, the dominoes were going to start moving. And he said, you started to see the dominoes moving. He said, and then, 
He said, things slowed down a bit because we were preaching it and preaching it and things slowed down a bit. He said, and then in 1967, he said, these guys took Jerusalem. He said, when they took Jerusalem, we knew it was it. That was it. And he said, and then in the 70s, when the European common market was going to have 10, we knew that it was it. Well, the European common market grew to 28. So the 10 didn't work anymore. And he said, we just knew that we just knew that we just knew that we knew that we knew that we knew. And he said, I'm ready to retire. And Jesus hasn't come back. I said, so what am I supposed to get out of that? He said, I don't know, but I'm supposed to tell you that. And I thought, I think I get it. You know, that Jesus is coming back. But he's had 40 years of ministry. Um, and I started to preach that same message. Jesus is coming back and Jesus is coming back. And honestly, I have to confess to you that where he says, don't be alarmed, I have many times been alarmed. And I have raised the alarmist flag. And I've told people things that ended up not being true. Ended up not happening. Ended up not following through. You know, when Saddam Hussein was gathering all of those Arab nations together, creating an Arab alliance, and he was going to attack Israel. And when he attacked Israel, then all of the dominoes of Ezekiel and everything would come into place. And everybody was like, oh, the dominoes are in place. And the guy ends up in a hole and some soldier pulls him up by the hand. Didn't happen. It will happen. You see, here's the thing. It's, if it's prophesied, you don't need to make it happen. It will happen. Jesus told us, don't be alarmed. Jesus is coming back. But Jesus could come back any time. And, and the point of Jesus coming back any time is eschatology deals with death and afterlife. And all of us will have our second coming of Christ. And most people on the planet will have their second coming of Jesus Christ through death, not through his return or rapture. So what do you do if, if, you're, if the second coming of Christ for you is going to be what? Because you were born again. You came to know Jesus. And now you're learning about him. We're growing in him. Where's the second coming? I'm waiting for this. I, I, listen, I grew up in the experience generation. I grew up in the Walt Disney generation. I grew up in the Star Wars generation. I, I want to go in the rapture. Like, that's the ultimate experience. Not like dropping, you know, 225 feet on some ride. You know, I want the rapture. Well, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Jesus will come, but most of us will have our second coming through the experience of death. In the meantime, what do you do? Well, <laughs> what are we supposed to do? Was that, was that Jesus talking? This is what we say here. Is keep your eyes to the sky, because it could be any moment. It could be, it could be any time. Keep your eyes to the sky. Keep looking for Jesus. But keep your feet on the ground. Don't be alarmed. Don't be deceived. And keep your heart with people. Because when you're alarmed, your heart has only one place to go, and it's going to the alarm. It's just following the alarm. It's just following the whistle. You're not going to be a good EMT. You're not going to be able to heal anybody. You're not going to be able to help anybody. You're not going to be able to repair anybody if you're alarmed all the time. You're not going to be able to be a good dispatcher if, if you're alarmed all the time. 
We have good news and we need to dispatch that good news. But if we're alarmed all the time, we're not going to be able to share that good news consistently over and over and over again. Because there's unsaved people that are going to come into these rooms this weekend who don't know Jesus. And if we're all freaked out and alarmed, we're going to forget to tell them the very message that they need to have their life changed, to come to know Jesus Christ, to be saved by the blood of the Lamb so that they can grow and have their life transformed and be changed. Is Jesus coming back? He's coming back. Is the temperature rising? I think so, but I've thought so before. <laughs> Pastor Anderson thought, thought so as well. Did Pastor Anderson pass on? Did he go to be with the Lord? How long ago? Yeah, so uh, here's a prophecy for us all at this very minute. Just as people are destined to die once and after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. He's coming again. That's a prophecy for every single one of us. We will all die and Jesus will come back and he will bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. We know that this earthly house, this tent is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house made not with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Pray this prayer if you haven't prayed to Jesus. Let's bow our heads. And let's have the band close a song with us. Are they here? Or did they go to Dunkin' Donuts? <laughs> I'm not deceived. Oh, are we doing communion? We are. Let's hand out the communion. The band will play for us as we're handing that out. And so um, <clears throat> let's wait till we pray this prayer, though. Let's bow our heads. And if you haven't prayed this prayer yet, then pray it with me. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my heart and I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you. And forgive my sins. And thank you for giving me eternal life. Take control of the throne of my life and make me the kind of person you want me to be.